Welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will find the we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's date is Saturday, February 10th, 2024. My name is Dottie, and I'm a recovered compulsive eater, overeater from New Jersey. I will be your host for today's study. Our co-hosts are Tanya G and Sue L is taking the questions and answers after the meeting. If you have any question during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. The chat function will be disabled until five minutes before the questions and answers session. Please note that the speaker Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the questions and answer session, which follows will not be recorded. We ask if you can please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. During the meeting, we'll post the link to our seven tradition. This money goes toward the cost of our Zoom account, the cost of uploading our recordings, and we also send contributions to our intergroup and WSO. We will post a link to the previous week's recordings. These are available by clicking on that link that will be posted in the chat box. And now I'm very grateful and honored to introduce Harlan G. Thank you very much, Dottie. I really appreciate that. That's. I just want to give a shout out to all of you who do service to keep this meeting going and to keep everything, uh, you know, in the status quo. We have been talking about Bill Wilson, and we are studying his story. And we study his story for lots of different reasons. But the main reason that we are going to be talking about the paragraph that we're going to start with, we're going to start on page one, and we're going to start with the paragraph that begins 22 and a veteran of foreign wars. But before we get to that paragraph, and I'll give you a minute to get you know, in your book to get to that, um, get to that page in that part, that paragraph is we are going to see a couple of things in this story that are going to help our program if we are able to identify in, because here's what we're going to see. We're going to see in Bill's story, an example of a true alcoholic. So we're going to ask ourselves a question, two questions. Number one, do I think like Bill thinks? And number two, do I eat like Bill drinks? And if the answer to those questions is yes, if the answer to the questions, do I eat like Bill drinks and do I think like Bill thinks is yes, then it is about 100%, 100 million percent that I am a compulsive overeater and that this is getting my attention because I am going to have to do what Bill did if I am going to let God achieve a recovery through me. Let me just cover that again a little bit. We're going to see in this chapter in Bill's story, the story of an alcoholic. And when I, when I look at this story, I'm going to ask myself two questions. Number one, do I think like Bill thinks? Do I eat like Bill drinks? And if the answer to those questions is yes, then you can bet your bippy that I am a compulsive overeater. And if I am a compulsive overeater, then I am going to have to do what Bill did so that God can affect through me the same recovery that he affected through Bill. Very important for me to remember that. Very important. Okay. We're going to also look at some other things as we go through the chapter, and I'm going to point them out every time. Now, I'm going to start on page one. We've already established that Bill Wilson was the product of divorce. He was born on November the 26th, 1895. And in 1906, when Bill was 10 years old, uh, his parents divorced. Now, why did they divorce? They divorced because of Bill's father's alcoholism. 
Bill's father's alcoholism ripped that family apart. Bill's grandfather on the Wilson side, the paternal side, was also an alcoholic. And that marriage between Bill's grandma and Bill's grandpa on the Wilson side was a very tumultuous marriage. And Bill's grandfather and Bill's father being alcoholic like that, Bill got a lot of warnings from his relatives not to drink. So he goes into World War I and they're given these cordials. That's what they called those drinks then. They were called, called cordials. And Bill always looked at the world and he saw people passing by and they seemed very happy to him. They seemed very together to him. They seemed very uh, aware of what to do in life and, and that they were okay, even though they may not have been. Remember, he was comparing his insides, his alcoholic insides with their outsides. And anytime we compare, we despair. But he got this drink and he drinks it. And for the first time in his life, he feels like he imagines he wants to always feel. So alcohol became the solution to his problem. It became his solution. Very, very important to remember that alcohol is not the problem. Alcohol is the solution to the problem. Remember when Dr. Silkworth tells us in the doctor's opinion, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Well, this is the same kind of thing. He's getting that effect from these drinks and it's making him feel fantastic. And so he, you know, he, 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 he sees that this is a solution. Then he goes to England. This is 1918. He marries Lois on his birthday, not his birthday, he marries Lois on January 24th, 1918, before shipping out. And in the summer of 1918, he goes to England and he sees this gravestone in England and it has a great effect on him. And it's the gravestone of a man named Thomas Thatcher. A little later on, not this week, but later on, we're going to be talking about a man named Edwin Ebby Thatcher, close. And this man died, Thomas Thatcher died in 1764 at the age of, of as a very young age. What did he die from? He wasn't dead from getting mortally wounded in battle. He died from drinking too much beer. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. So he sees that this guy is dead from drinking and it has a great effect on Bill. He knows he doesn't want to die from drinking, but drinking is giving him whatever joy, whatever good uh, feelings that he has. He's going to have such this is going to have such an effect on Bill. He's going to mention it again on page 10. But we don't study this next paragraph, as, as you can hear on vision, because this shows um, uh, what do you call it? This shows Bill's grandiosity. No, we're going to use this next paragraph, the one that starts with 22 and a veteran of foreign wars. We're going to look at this paragraph and we're going to see Bill's attitude in the time that he comes out of the war in the early 1920s. And we're gonna look at, let's go to page 122. I'm at the bottom of the page, 22, and a veteran of foreign wars. I went home at last. I fancied myself a leader for had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation. My talent for leadership, I imagine, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. Now, yes, we can talk about Bill being grandiose. I'm not sure that he was, but liquor gave him the license to dream and Oreo cookies gave me the license to dream. I never could dream because I knew that no matter what I dreamed, if I dreamed about 
holding hands with that girl, it was not going to happen. If I dreamed about getting a great job, it was not going to happen because my weight was just setting my life backwards. It was doing things to me that were just killing any dream that I might have had. And I knew not to dream. But when you fill me up with Oreo cookies or you fill me up with, with whatever, Chips Ahoy or whatever that may be, all of a sudden, I now dare to dream. I now dare to think, even though my thoughts and dreams were short lived because the effect is only about nine, 10 seconds. That gave me the freedom to dream of holding that girl's hand, of, of achieving something great with my life, doing something that would be positive in my life. And that was the only time I could really dream. That was the only time I could really do that. But the reason that we read this paragraph is because we're going to refer back to it. We're going to show you, we're going to see the progression of Bill's disease. I'm not going to refer back to it today, but I am going to refer back to it as we get into the later pages, because this paragraph is going to indicate to us where Bill was mentally at the time that he was released from the army. And we're going to see the deterioration of Bill's life and the deterioration of his attitudes, his behaviors. And we're going to see that although the disease has two characteristics, the allergy of the body and the twist of the mind, the disease has three characteristics, three traits that are independent from the allergy of the body and the twist of the mind. And those traits are the disease is permanent. It never, ever, ever, ever goes away. The disease is progressive. That means it gets worse over time, never better. And it gets worse whether you're eating or not. Whether you're eating or not. Abstinence does not fend off the progressive nature of the disease. Very important to remember. And if you forget that, you could die in the food, which leads us to the third characteristics, characteristic the disease, if untreated, is 100% fatal. Permanent, progressive, fatal. My friend in Oklahoma, he says permanent, progressive, and fatal. Permanent, progressive, and fatal. But it's permanent, progressive, and fatal if it's not treated. And if even if it is treated, it's permanent and progressive. Very important. Let's go to page two. Let's go to page two, and we're going to take a look at the very first paragraph on the page at the top where it says, I took a night law course and obtained employment as investigator for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I proved to the world I was important. Now, remember, he is still thinking he's important. He has he has come out of the World War One, not the World War One. He's come out of World War One. He is. He was an officer. He's coming out. He's going to prove to people that this kid from East Dorset, Vermont, now living in New York City, is going to be important. Okay, that's not grandiosity. That's healthy human behavior. Most of us, all of us, want to think that at some level, we are important to the world. And I would tell you that that's a more healthy thought than an unhealthy thought, depending upon what you do with it. My work took me about Wall Street and little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? And some of us come into, into this recovery program and we see people recovering. And yet you have people that say chronically, constantly, I'm a chronic relapser. I can't get it. I don't think this is going to work for me. It'll work for anybody that works it. Anybody that works this program is going to recover. But the ego has three jobs, doesn't it? The ego has three jobs. Number one, make me right. And I can't be right if I'm going to predict I'm going to recover because if I'm wrong, I'm going to die of shame or something. But number one, make me right. Number two, 
make me feel good right now. And number three, make me different from everybody else. Make me right. Make me feel good right now. Make me different from everybody else. If I can't be better than everybody else, I'm going to be worse than everybody else. If I can't be better, I'm going to be worse because that's what the ego does. The ego doesn't allow us to say, I'm going to be one of the crowd. We have to beat ego back to be in that space. But there are people recovering in this program every single day. And I can easily be one of those people as long as I do the work. We all have a friend in New Jersey, Miss Kim G. And what does Kim G say that I love so much? She says, I'm very sorry that you got no results from the work you did not do. I'm very sorry that you got no results from the work that you did not do. If I don't do the work, I'm not going to recover. It's not going to happen. But if I do the work, I will get the same recovery that you guys got. It's that simple, yet sometimes that hard. Okay, let's continue. I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. Nearly. He does pass the bar exam. He's going to pass a few bars in his day too and go into a lot of them, but he's going to pass the bar exam, but he will never practice law during his life. Okay. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Now let's stop right there. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. This disease from the time I was a child has controlled me, manipulated me, isolated me, degraded me, shamed me, given me pain, limited me, and almost killed me. This disease did not just make me fat. If all the disease did was make me fat, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. It is the other things that it does to me spiritually. It's the things that it does to me psychologically. My attitudes, my behaviors, my not fitting into the world physically or emotionally. This disease committed arson to every dream I was entitled to dream by my creator. I became an object of ridicule. I could not get in a car. I could not get out of a car. I could not go to the movies as I could not fit in the seat. The first time I ever held a girl's hand, the first time I ever went on a date with a girl, I was 35 years old. This disease emasculated me in every way that you can emasculate a human being. This disease physically and emotionally emasculated and neutered me. It made me where I slept on a broken bed, sat on broken furniture, drove a car with a broken seat, and had a broken life and a broken heart. It is only by the grace of God, only by the grace of God that today I can tell you I can walk three miles. I own this house. I mean, me and the bank, but this is my house. I own my car. My credit is good. There were banks in Chicago that wouldn't have given me two dimes and a nickel for a solid quarter. My credit was so bad. I'm alive. I'm 69 years old. I don't know how much more time I have left. I'm alive. And every garment on my body right now, everything that I am wearing right now, this is one of my stepping stones shirts. 
If you haven't been to Stepping Stones, shame on you. It's in Bedford, New York. It's the home of Bill and Lois Wilson. Don't you dare go to the end of your life and not go to Stepping Stones in New York. But this comes from the gift shop at Stepping Stones. It's a normal size that many people wear. I'm wearing sweatpants. I know you can't see them. I'm wearing sweatpants. It came from a normal store. And everything on my body is a normal size. I can go to the movies if I want to. I can fit in the seat. I can fly on an airplane. I can fit in the seat. When I walk down the street, nobody is laughing at me. Children used to point at me and laugh. Adults used to point at me and laugh. I was an object of ridicule. I'm not today. I'm not. And when he says here that at one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Alcoholism is controlling where, what, where he can do, where he can go, the dreams that he's allowed to dream. Let's continue. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, make, make a note of that in your mind. We're going to refer back to that more next week than this week. But we're going to refer back to that as a sign of the progression of the disease. And though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. The first victim of this disease is the truth. The very first thing to go out the window when addiction is practiced is the truth. Because if the truth be known, that's all bullshit. I would steal her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk. Come on. It's a good thing she was alanonic. That the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. I can't eat on the truth. That's why we need each other. That's one of the reasons we need each other. Because you will hold up reality to me and you will show me how ridiculous that sounds. What if I called you up today and I said, man, now this is not true. I didn't really do this. Instead of walking three miles, I don't walk on Saturday, but let's just pretend I did. Instead of walking three miles, I walked 50 miles. Okay. Let's just say I called you up and I said, you know, fill in the blank of your name. I didn't walk three miles today. I walked 50 miles today. I think I'm going to go have Chips Ahoy cookies because I burn so many calories. I should be able to eat Chips Ahoy cookies with safety. You would say to me, Harlan, this is crazy thinking. You've never eaten Chips Ahoy cookies in your life safely. You've never been able to eat a container, a bag of Chips Ahoy cookies and stopped with that. That has never been your fate. Because every single time I eat Chips Ahoy cookies, I go from those cookies to the Oreos, from the Oreos to the chips, from the chips to the pizza, from the pizza to the fries and the cheeseburger, and on and on and on and on. It's crazy talk. You would say that to me. And in the if I'm willing to listen to you, in the face of honesty, I'm not going to put that food in my mouth, provided I've had a spiritual awakening. You know, you're not frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. So just telling me that isn't going to control me. But if you if you reason with me and I have recovery, I'm going to hear what I'm saying as being pure insanity, pure insanity. So in the face of honesty, 
I can't practice the disease. But the very first victim of compulsive overeating or, or, or alcoholism or gambling or love addiction, sex addiction, drug addiction is the truth. The first thing to go out the window, you lie to yourself and then you lie to others. And boy, we are good at it. And that's why, that's why when I'm speaking to you here or I'm speaking to you in front of a convention like we're going to do in July, July 12th, 13th and 14th in Phoenix at the Crown Plaza Hotel, we are having a big book convention and I want you to come. And it's going to be three days of big book. I'm going to be doing it, but it's going to be three days of big book. We're going to have a good time. You're going to get to expand your God squad. You're going to have fun. We're going to learn. We're going to laugh together. We're going to cry together. We're going to have a good time. I want you to please come to Phoenix in July. Not because I hate you, because it's going to be very hot, but I want you to come. It's an air-conditioned airport, air-conditioned shuttle bus, air-conditioned hotel, air-conditioned restaurants, air-conditioned cars, everything is air-conditioned, you will be fine. Will it be hot? Yes. Yes. But you'll survive. You'll be okay. You'll be all right. It'll be well worth it. The juice will be worth the squeeze. The juice will be worth the squeeze. Please come. I promise you, you're going to love it. Okay. Page two, middle of the page. By the time I had completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved $1,000. Now, let's just take a look at something that's happening here. First of all, I love his use of the word boomerang, because when he was a child, as I told you last week, Bill Wilson read in a book. He was a very headstrong young boy. He read in a book that only an aborigine could fashion a boomerang that would actually come back to you. Well, he wasn't having that. He saw that book and he says, no way, Jose, I am going to make a boomerang that is going to come back. So he did. And he worked and he worked. And he and when it came back, it almost took Grandpa Griffith's head off, but it came back to him. He did successfully do it. And he was very, very proud of himself. Now, I want you to remember something. You're living in 2024. And I'm going to say something that I hope is true, because if it's not true, I'm going to feel very bad. Every one of you people here today has plastic in your pockets that is worth $1,000. Every one of you today makes more than $1,000 per year. In the early 1920s, $1,000 was a lot of money. So when you read this about $1,000 that they saved it, he's doing very well. I'll put it in perspective for you. In Chicago, at that time, you could buy a brand new house, new construction. Nobody's ever lived there before. You could get a brand new house for about Fifteen to sixteen hundred dollars, brand new. Not, it wouldn't be the Taj Mahal. It wouldn't be, you know, um, a Windsor Castle in in England. But it would be a house you'd be very proud to own, and a very a house you'd be very proud to live in. You could get two, not one, two brand new Ford Model A's. Each one is four ninety five. So for a thousand dollars, you could get a car for you a car for your wife, women really didn't drive in those days, but a car for you, a car for your wife, and $10 change, $10 change. So I want you to remember he's doing well. Everything is going up at this point. Everything is getting better, okay? And went into certain securities, then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagine that they would someday have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and managements 
but my wife and I decided to go anyway. So he has this idea. Here's what's happening. The stock market at those in those days was very, very, very profitable. People are making money hand over fist. But, but a lot of the information on these companies was unknown. And he realizes, he now this is how smart he was. What comes up must come down. And he realizes that we are investing in these companies and we know very little about them. Remember, this was in the days way before the internet. This is in the days way before television, way before any of the communications that you have today that you take for granted. There was the ticker tape and there was published literature by the company. Well, if I'm Harlan Company and I know you, I want you to invest in my company, I'm not going to tell you that I've got a tax thing I have to pay or I'm not going to tell you that my machinery just broke down or the head of my research and development just quit to take a job with whoever, whatever. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you what I want you to know, what I want you to see. I'm going to tell you what I want you to know. So I'm going to paint a very rosy picture of my company and I'm going to paint it so you'll invest. Hang on one second. So Bill Wilson says, we need more information. I want to go to some of these places and eyeball what it is that they're, you know, what's going on over there. And they're telling them, nah, nah, don't. what are you crazy? We're making money. What? Go back and make money, Wilson, and leave me alone. That's what's happening here. But he sees the need for this. He's very smart. Let's continue. I had... My wife and I decided to go anyway. I had developed a theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. We gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle. The sidecar stuffed with tent, blankets, a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of a financial service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had had some success at speculation, so we had a little money, but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year, and at the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. He's making surgeon money now. He's making top lawyer money now. He is on uh, Park Avenue. He's buying Lois the piano that she's always wanted. You can see it at Stepping Stones. He's buying himself suits from the finest suit makers in New York. He's buying Lois dresses from some of the finest dress places, dressmakers in New York. He is riding high and they are living on Park Avenue. See, Bill self-describes as a stockbroker. He was not. He was a New York City stock speculator. What does that mean? His opinions were valuable. So people who would put together money to invest in a certain stock or, or they, would, they, they put together money, they didn't know what stock they want to invest in. They would come to people like Bill and Bill and they would say, Bill, what do you think we should invest in? Or Bill, I'm thinking of investing in uh, ABC company, or I'm thinking of investing in uh, XYZ company, whatever it is. And he would give them his opinion. And if they made money, they would cut him off, up, cut him off. They would cut him in. That's what I meant to say. Cut him in on the profits. So that's how he made his money. But he's got a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. Now, if you were making at that time 
about $15 or $20 a week as a salary, you were doing okay. You were doing all right. Remember, you could rent an apartment for a couple of bucks a month. You could get a steak dinner in most restaurants for 70, 80 cents. You could ride the streetcar in Chicago for a nickel. You could, you know, things were very, very cheap. Things were very cheap and wages were low. Wages were low. So he's making several thousand for the year. He's doing very well. Let's see where he goes from there and let's see how it unravels. Now, this paragraph is what I like to call the top of the roller coaster, because after this paragraph, we are going to be seeing the downside. So let's take a look at this paragraph. And this paragraph is going to be the top of the roller coaster. For the next few years, fortune through money and applause my way, I had arrived. Now, here's the kid from East Dorset, Vermont, with the inferiority complex. Here's the kid that never had much in his life, comes from a broken home, comes from a small town in Vermont. He's in New York and writes the words and thinks the words, I had arrived. Wow. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. Now, let's just take a look at what we're seeing here. He is advising these people, and there are millions of dollars, millions of dollars being invested because of his opinions. Could you just imagine, just, just take in your mind, just imagine you're Bill Wilson for just a minute. People are coming to you that are educated, that are professional investors. They're coming to you because they value your opinion. Now, just imagine that they are taking their money to the tune of millions of dollars and they are investing it based on your opinion. Could you imagine what that would do for your ego? I know what it would do for mine. Holy mackerel, it would make me feel like I was invincible. It would make me feel fantastic. Wow, I'm so wonderful that these guys are investing millions of dollars based on my opinion. Let's continue. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. It was taking an important and exhilarating part in his life, which means for right now, drinking is working for him. Drinking is working for him. Let's see where we go from there. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Wow. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair-weather friends. What's a fair-weather friend? A fair-weather friend is somebody that hangs out with you, not because they like you, but because they're there to get something from you. And they're only there when things are good. They're only there when things are rolling well like a fair weather fan. I can always tell who's a real Cubs fan because the Cubs sucked for my whole life. If you really were a fan, then you're gonna remember the times that they sucked, right? Which was most all my life. Now, if somebody just focuses in on 2015, 2016, 2017, that's not a fan. That's a Johnny come lately. They jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, I'm a Bears fan. Yeah, Bears. Yeah, 1985, 86. Yeah, we're great. Where were you when they sucked? That's the guy I'm looking for. Where were you when the Bears blew chunks? That's the guy that's a true fan. That's the guy. Okay, now 
This next paragraph is going to tell us what it's like as the descent into madness is beginning. This is the beginning of Bill's progression into the nadir of his alcoholism. The nadir is the depths of his alcoholism. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. Now, remember on page two, it said, remember I told you to make note of this. Remember it said on page two, though my drinking was not yet continuous. So he's drinking all day and almost every night. So he's drinking seven days a week and most nights. See the progression? Now let's ask ourselves a question and I can answer yes to both of them. Do I think like Bill thinks? Yes. Do I eat like Bill drinks? Yes. When I was a little boy, four, five, six, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a box of Oreos, Oreos come in bags, not boxes, but a container of Oreos or Chips Ahoy, the whole thing would make me happy and I'd be done. As I got older, one thing led to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, and that's how my disease progressed. So he's drinking more and more as time goes on. Do I think like Bill thinks? Yes. Do I eat like Bill drinks? Yes. I must be in the right place because I'm probably a compulsive overeater. Do you see how why we stress that? Do you see why we emphasize that? Because sometimes we have to ask ourselves a question. Do we belong here? And for me, the answer is resoundingly, absolutely, assuredly, yes. Yes. Let's continue. The remonstrances of my friends, remonstrances are protestations. They're coming over and they're saying, Bill, we'd like to meet with you about ABC company. And he's drunk. They don't want to do business with somebody who's drunk all the time. And they can scarcely get him on the phone or scarcely meet up with him when he's not drunk. Do I relate to that? Yes. I was always loaded, terminated in a row, not a row, a row. A row is a fight, a quarrel. It terminated in a row, an argument. And what does he do? He became a lone wolf. Let's stop right there. I know we're stopping a lot, but you know I go slow, but especially here. Now, let's see what he's doing and let's see if we can relate to this. They're getting on him about his drinking. They're getting on him about his drinking. Now, most normal people, normal people, when people are getting on you about your drinking and they're taking business away from you, they're making your income go down, you stop drinking. What does Bill do? He says, oh, screw these people. I don't need them anyway. And he continues drinking. Did I choose... Cool Whip and Oreos and Chips Ahoy and Milky Way over people? You bet I did. You bet I did. Do I think like Bill thinks? Yes. Do I eat like Bill drinks? Yes. I must be in the right place. Many, many times my heart was breaking because I wanted to go on a date. I wanted to experience what these other guys had experienced with girls. Many times my heart was breaking because I wanted to be on the team. I wanted to be able to run and do the things other boys could do. And all I did was eat more and more and more. I ate more food to kill the pain of eating too much food. I'm going to say that again. I ate more food to kill the pain of eating too much food. They have a name for people that do that. They're called compulsive overeaters. Do I think like Bill thinks? Yes. Do I eat like Bill drinks? Yes. 
I must be in the right place. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. I'm not so sure. We have a book in uh, Al-Anon called As Lois Remembers. And we have a book in AA called As Bill Sees It. And this is one subject where they're not exactly the same. Bill liked different things, ladies among them. But do I? did I get into trouble like that? No, no. But I got into other trouble, financial trouble, social trouble, health trouble. I didn't get into trouble. I never kissed anybody's wife. I never, I never did that. But the bottom line is, is that this is something where they're not the same. Bottom of three. Now, remember, he says here, make note of this because we're going to refer to that. Remember, I just read the line. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. Remember, we read that line. Make note of it because we're going to refer back to it. In 1929, we're getting very close to the start of the depression here, guys. But in 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country. My wife to applaud while I started out to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning. Golf permitted drinking every day and every night. Now we're going to look at the progression of his disease. Page two, he says very clearly, though my drinking was not yet continuous. Page three, my drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. And on page four, he's drinking every day and every night. This is the progression of the disease. And this is stuff that a lot of sponsors do not point out. They may not know it or they don't take the time. But just as we look at this story, it's not just a biography of some guy that you'll never meet. It is showing you so much. But this is something very important. It is showing you the progression of this illness. It was fun to caroam around the exclusive course, which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. He's drinking every day. He's drinking every night. Do I relate? You bet I do. Do I think the way he thinks? Yes. Do I eat the way he drinks? Yes. I must be in the right place. Okay, page four, abruptly in October 29, uh, October 1929. This would be October the 29th, 1929, which will forever be etched in our history as Black Tuesday. Now, I want to give you a picture. In 2008, during the height of the financial crisis that the banking and investment banking industries went through in this country, we had 10, 15% unemployment in this country. People were aghast. People were marching in the streets. Pe businesses were going under. In 1929, Unemployment among whites was about 60%. Unemployment in African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans was about 90 to 100%. The world was thrown into a depression that actually was beyond comprehension, beyond comprehension, beyond comprehension. Because when America gets a cold, 
the rest of Europe and the rest of the world gets pneumonia. So this is the conditions that we are in when this happens. Just to paint that picture for you. And abruptly in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was eight o'clock. Five hours after the market closed, the ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of tape which bore the inscription XYZ32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. Notice he puts high finance in capital letters because for many people, high finance is their God, is their higher power. Okay, that disgusted me. He is disgusted when he sees these people killing themselves. Make note of it because next week and the week after, we're going to see how that's going to come back to play into the story. I would not jump. I went back to the bar because he knows without knowing it that in that whiskey, in that gin, his favorite drink was gin. He drank gin and grapefruit juice. That was his big drink was gin and grapefruit juice. Uh, he went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? Now he's drinking. Tomorrow was another day. He's got that liquid courage. You give me a pizza. You give me some French fries. You give me a few you know, cheeseburgers. Hey, I'm riding high. Everything's groovy, baby. Every Hey, everything. I want to buy the world a Coke. Kumbaya, man. Kumbaya, right? Give me enough pizza. Give me enough, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, French fries? Hey, kumbaya, man. Let's sing by the campfire. Let's. I want to buy the world a Coke. If you're if you're old enough to remember uh, when they when they all held hands, I want to something. I don't remember the song, but I want to buy the world a Coke. All right. Tomorrow was another day as I drank. The old fierce determination to win came back. So the drinking is the solution to his problem. The more he drinks, that fierce determination to win came back. Don't they call that liquid courage? <clears throat> Don't they call that liquid courage, boys and girls? I think they do. Now, next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. This is his friend, Dick Johnson. He had plenty of money and left and thought I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. Elba is the island Napoleon will get banished to, where he will regroup and regain his territories. And St. Helena, he's dead. He, that's it. No St. Helena for me. I have two friends of mine that just spent their honeymoon on St. Helena. They loved it. But uh, I don't know. I, got, I don't know how that plays into the story, but I just thought I would throw that in. Just, just throw it in there for a second. Okay. But drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. <clears throat> this time, we stayed broke. Now, I want to tell you a story that you need to know before we read the next paragraph. Bill Wilson was drinking worse and worse and worse from 1918, 1917, and this is now 1929. So for the last 12 years, he has been drunk most of the time. Before anything, Mr. Burnham, Dr. Burnham, Dr. Burnham was, was Lois's dad. He was a gynecologist, a surgeon, and a genetics doctor. He had no use for Bill Wilson. He thought Bill was a schmuck. 
Uh, Bill was always trying to sell him on investing, which he didn't like. He was always trying to high pressure Dr. Burnham. But Bill was younger than Lois by a couple of years. And he thought that Lois should have married somebody on the right side of the tracks. And she married somebody on the wrong side of the tracks. They had a home in Manchester, Vermont, which is where a lot of wealthy people have summer homes. And Bill was from East Dorset, which is the poor side. And the Burnhams had a home in New York and in Manchester, Vermont, which is the ritzy side. She meets him. She meets Bill. A couple years later, they're getting married, blah, blah, blah. He never liked Bill Wilson. Never liked him at all. Lois Wilson had two ectopic pregnancies. And the ectopic pregnancy that she got the second time almost killed her. And she calls her father and says, Dad, I need you to come over. I can't stop the bleeding. She's bleeding. She's hemorrhaging. And she can't stop the bleeding. He comes over there. And at 6 o'clock in the evening, they take Lois to Roosevelt Hospital in Manhattan. They leave a note on the kitchen table. Bill, we have taken Lois to the hospital. Please get to the hospital as soon as you can. 9, 10 o'clock the next morning. He rolls into the hospital, Bill Wilson. He's obviously pissed in his pants a couple of times. He's obviously vomiting on himself a couple of times. His tie, his jacket, his shirt is full of vomit. He stinks to high hell. He's neither bathed nor brushed his teeth. He looks horrible. Horrible. And... There's an instruction in Lois Wilson's room that no one is to come into that room without seeing Dr. Burnham first. No one. Dr. Burnham sees Bill Wilson and he reads him the riot act that Lois has had to endure an emergency hysterectomy. Lois's dream was to have children and a family. This was her dream from the time she was a little girl. That dream has now been taken away from her. She is without any chance of having children. She has almost died. And here comes this jerk of a son-in-law. Now, next week, I may have to tell you that story again at the beginning, but we're going to pick it up with my, we went to live with my wife's parents. Now he's going to be living with this guy that thinks he's a putz. Okay. So we're going to pick it up from there. Before we close today, I have two announcements I want to make. I'm going to turn it back over to Dottie or Sue or somebody. I forgot. Number one, March the 10th, coming up here in a month. Daylight savings time will begin again for this year. That means that at our evening meetings on Scottsdale, our evening meetings will all begin one hour later, unless you're in Arizona, no change. The Saturday morning, no change unless you're in the state of Arizona. If you're in Arizona, it's one hour earlier. I know it's confusing. Arizona is confusing because we don't change our clocks here. So everyone around us is changing. So it gets even more confusing. Nighttime, March 10th, hour later. Daytime, Saturday, you're in Arizona, hour earlier. Okay. All right. So I also want to announce to you here that, let me just write down where we are. We're on page four. July 10th, July 12th, 13th, and 14th, July 13th, 14th, 12th, 13th, and 14th at the Crown Plaza in Phoenix, Arizona, 
We are having a retreat. This is from our group. You can't pass this by. This is from our Scottsdale group. Registration is open. I don't know how to access it yet. They haven't told me. Look on the website, on the Phoenix OA website. I'm sure it'll be there soon if it's not there already. Come to this retreat. You're going to love it. You're going to absolutely love it. Um, and we hope to see you there. You're going to be so glad that you came to this. You're, you are going to love it. So hopefully you'll come. I hope to see you there. That's July 12th, 13th, and 14th. Harlan, and it's, it's in the chat with the with the link to registration. In the chat. Okay. I'm not. Okay. Very good. Very good. Okay. I'm going to throw this back to Dottie or Sue or Nancy uh, and let you guys fight it out.